looks so pretty. I do. Yeah, your hair looks good. Oh, this, this mop right here. It's raining here. It's everything's going green. It's spring. Oh my gosh, I wish it would rain here. It's been so hot. We need the rain. Mostly because I don't want to water my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's expensive, man. Yeah, you Florida people got your lawns. Get off my lawn. Yes. I Yeah, we do have lawns. And, you know, it's it's frustrating. There are like patches of it that are doing so well. And then there are patches that are dying. And it's like, aren't you all the same plant? <laughs> What's happening here? Get your act together. Either you all die or you all live. <laughs> no, I, I don't want it all to die. I want it all to live. But... You know, it really makes me wonder why we have lawns in the first place. Like, isn't there a more productive use of that space than just growing flat grass? Yeah. I mean, this is the whole thought behind, what is that, zeroscaping? Mm -hmm. Where you have, you know, rocks or other things there instead. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think lawns are beautiful, but when you have property and the whole thing like all around is covered with grass, it's not very interesting to look at. There's so many amazing innovations people are, you know, using in their, in their spaces. I, so I, I think last time I talked to you, I was telling you about this show I was watching. It's called small spaces, big dreams. And it's all about like really small kind of rundown garden mm -hmm. spaces and how people reimagine them. And like, they're building like beautiful, like rock gardens, fountains, like they'll have visited someplace exotic. And then they want to bring the essence of that into that small garden. I went into the deep end in that show and then was like I want to do this I want to do this all over the place you I, should um, totally have a fountain yeah right a what some kind of a water feature yeah you need yeah. that yeah I think that would be really pretty it would be gorgeous yeah yeah make your own zen garden I'm, I'm all about that but I'm a really good project starter I struggle with finishing projects <laughs> so I'm really trying to focus on one small section at a time, because if I start like, because I know I'm going to want to, I'm going to want to start everything at the same time, but it's, I, I can't let this house reflect. It will reflect on both of us poorly because it'll be all of my bad decisions <laughs> What will people say? What, what will, will people, people say? say? Yeah, they'll be like, that girl's a hot mess. She doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing they don't already say. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think Lily Singh did a whole skit on what will yeah. people say? <laughs> yeah, no, I've been here. I've been hearing that since I was. I know. In, the, so. in utero. <laughs> And the lawn, in, especially in Florida, is like the ultimate what will people oh, say, right? Why, why do you think we got a corner lot house so <laughs> no one's driving through? <laughs> don't go in the back corner. They don't know what they're doing with their lawn. Very strategic. <laughs> yes. Well done, you. <laughs> I guess this is a good way to get into it because you got to give yourself some grace in this situation. And we're talking about forgiveness. 
right? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever seen that movie, Just Friends? Uh, was with it- Anna, Anna Ferris and, uh, oh God, what's his name? I don't think so. We, we may need to, we may need to pause so you can, so you can quickly watch this movie because there is a song, <laughs> there's a song in that movie that's so funny and it's, it's called Forgiveness and I, I really want to sing it, but, but I don't get it, but you don't get it. And we'll just sing it and I'll watch the movie later and laugh by myself. <laughs> no, no, no. The moment's gone. Uh, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to wait for you to watch the movie. I'm going to force you to watch the movie. <laughs> you can forgive me later. <laughs> get it? Get it? I get it. And then we're going to go back and we're going to do this song. Okay. And it'll be its own standalone <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Sultana watches a movie and yeah. Amy sings her a song. <laughs> yes. That's what it's titled. It's five minutes long. Everyone will be happy. <laughs> um. Yes, no, I definitely need to show myself some grace because there's so many projects, like so many household things that I thought I was going to have more energy to do. I was like, hey, a whole year of pandemic, I should have accomplished so much more in my house. No, I barely had energy to do with the things that I did. So it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a race. I have to keep reminding myself that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are feeling in a similar way because we all thought, okay, we're going to be at home. And what does this mean for us? And okay, some people baked bread. Good for them. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I, I, I applaud you. And if it wasn't a pandemic, I would have had some of your bread. <laughs> Look, but- that's, that's dangerous. Can you imagine a bread <laughs> addict like me all of a sudden learning how to make my own bread? <laughs> You'd have to wheel me around right. <laughs> like everywhere on a flatbread truck because I would be, my joints would stop working because they'd be so inflamed. I know. I'm lucky that I, that I'm not into baking more things, you know, so, <laughs> but I did, I did get it back into music, mm-hmm. which is something I stepped away from mm-hmm. when I was married and dun, dun, dun. I feel like I'm on the tonight show where it's like, make this sound. And then you have to imitate the sound, you wait, know, no, we, we should have a soundboard. Are we at that level yet where we could get a soundboard? Like, uh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Price is right. Loser horn. <laughs> but I think they should all be Punjabi or Indian sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, they should be. Absolutely. They should all be bang- bangra sounds. Bangra yeah. sounds. Bangra yes. sounds. Yes. <laughs> oh man, we are we are on fire today. <laughs> You're about to get burned. Um I did buy a keyboard. I bought a keyboard, a weighted keyboard, which is like a piano, but mm-hmm. much cheaper and easy easier. I can lift it up. It's, it's portable. portable. Yeah. It's portable. And, uh, it's got a pedal. I've started playing again. A lot of the same songs I enjoyed playing when I was a kid I and it. I haven't played regularly since I was really young. And then sure. I had a brief stunt, very brief where I sang in a female cover band. It was about 10 months 
when I was 29 or so. Mm -hmm. It was really, really fun. Did you do weddings? Didn't do any weddings, although I've sang at weddings, but not in the band. I've sang at weddings and I've played my flute at weddings because, you know, canon and D and all that going down the aisle. And so I've been in flute trios and everything and I've sang at a few weddings. But yeah, no, we we mainly played at a sushi restaurant. (laughs) I love it. That had an outdoor uh, beer garden. And so, yes. We would sing and so people would walk by and hear us and they'd want to come and eat at the restaurant. Yeah. I anything that encourages more food consumption at a restaurant <laughs> is a good thing. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, you see three women in a band like rocking yeah. it out, singing, you know, Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Soak up the sun. You're like, yeah, it's Florida. I'm gonna soak up I the would sun. like to soak up some more bread in this olive oil. <laughs> Full circle. Mm-mm. Oh yeah. We know how you like that. Yeah. Bread making. Yes. Lots of people made bread. The the sourdough starter. Yes. Excitement. Yeah. Some people got, got into sewing and Mm -hmm. um, knitting and all kinds of things, but it was homesteading all around. Yeah. I think it's great. And I, and I celebrate the people who are the do it, do it yourselfers. It's, it's not really my forte. I have, you know, imaginations of potential lives where I am more that way. Yeah. And, you know, mind you, I have a mother who is very artistic and can paint and is very crafty, but it's just not easy for me. Everyone has something that they're naturally attracted to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something that while you have appreciation for it, it just may not be something you have a natural attraction to. And that's okay. I did a lot of making my own croutons. Yum. Have you, have you ever done that? No. Okay. It's not hard. So we were going to this really great Italian restaurant um, and ordering, ordering in obviously because pandemic. So they always gave this giant loaf of bread, like fresh baked, you know, delicious, amazing. And I've really struggled with not eating a ton of bread at Italian restaurants. Cause anytime you go, that's one of the first things they give you. And it's always, it smells so good and it's delicious and like, you know, it's going to be great. But part of the reason why this was so hard for me not eating the bread was that wastefulness thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, if I don't eat it, it's going to go stale. And that that's it. I've, you know, just contributed to world hunger. And <laughs> I know it's a, it's a really slippery slope and it goes straight down and it's only me who's going to save everyone from world it's just my stomach. Right. Right. It's just me. No one else. Like you don't have to eat the bread, but I have to, because if I don't, everyone dies. So we were eating, you know, we were making salads at home and we we're trying to be healthy. And, you know, we'd always go out and buy the bag of croutons. And then one day I looked at the ingredients and I was like, this is like, most of this is stuff I have in my pantry or in my fridge that I could, I could, I wonder what the process is of making croutons. Again, this is not a food I grew up eating. This is a food that was introduced to me at 
you know, an older age, I was in my twenties when I started eating bougie salads with croutons on them. Mm -hmm. Um, there are no croutons in India. Okay. Now there are, but like in an Indian (laughs) household where you're just having dal roti every day, like there's no no croutons in your dal. (laughs) No, no. Although that would be delicious. I'm just saying. Yeah. So I, I went down the, the YouTube rabbit hole, you know, this, this year. And I just started figuring out like, what else can I make myself? I now feel like an expert in making croutons and it's not difficult at all. Okay. I feel like we're going to have to post your crouton recipe. Oh, totally. (laughs) Absolutely. And it was a great way to use the bread from Italian. Cause croutons will, croutons will last a bit longer. Yeah. You just cut it up, stick it in the fridge, let it get dry and then mix it with all the things and then bake it. Perfect. That's it. They're so good. And then you can put them back in the fridge and, and use them whenever you make salad. I like it. And then that's, it's a much more manageable dose, mm-hmm. a, a less wheelbarrow dose. Right. So, and I think that's another thing I've kind of given myself some grace on too, because the life I've been leaving, leading up till now has been one that is progressively getting busier And I have not padded into my schedule time to cook. I've like, I would be running around, going to work, coming back, long commute, spending time with family, like all this other stuff, seeing friends. And it was always over a shared meal at a restaurant. But then when you take that out of the equation, it's like, okay, I'm home all the time. Mm -hmm. I kind of don't have a reason not to cook. So yeah, it gives you a little more control over what you eat for sure. When you're doing that, you know exactly what's going into your food. You can change the ingredients mm-hmm. up, but I think it's good that you're giving yourself grace around that. I think a lot of us have had to do that this last year because you can't ignore what you live with yeah. day after day after day. And when you're like living and working in the same space and these things that may have go- gone unnoticed in the busy mm-hmm. that you then notice them. And then you sometimes we start overthinking it and it's easy to beat yourself up over the things that you are not doing or that you are doing that are not great habits. Right. You know, like I've been doing this, um, sort of, I don't want to call it challenge, but I, a girlfriend and I have been motivating each other for the last couple of months to help each other lose a little weight, Mm -hmm. get in better shape, and eat a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And there's good weeks and there's bad weeks. And I notice that it's so easy after you've eaten bad for a couple of days or you missed a couple of days of working out to, to fall just, into it. Yeah. And then just to go to a straight up place of shame, shaming yourself, sure. it doesn't help. It makes it worse. And so it's just like, okay, you can say I could have done better, right? but I'm going to forgive myself and I'm going to get back on it and get back to it. And I, I know even pe- people who are easy to forgive, it still seems like a challenge to forgive yourself. The self-forgiveness thing, the self-compassion is much harder for people, I think. Most of us haven't really been taught about forgiveness. Like if you grow up with siblings, yeah, your first real concept of forgiveness is to accept the forced apology your parents made your sibling give you after they <laughs> threw something at your head or right. punched or kicked or scratched or bit you. Right. right. 
That's, that's the first concept of forgiveness. I, that's the first concept of forgiveness I had. Yes. So I never associated it with anything graceful. I associated it with, okay, just do this thing. So everyone can move on and mom and pop can go back to, you know, watching Knight Rider. (laughs) Okay. Let's be real. I was the one watching Knight Rider. They were, they watched it because I watched it. I liked the reference. So I used it. They were in the room. (laughs) They were, they were more about the A-team. I mean, I liked the A-team too. Yeah. Who doesn't, who didn't, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like forgiveness is such a, it's bigger than, than that. And it wasn't until like, I want to say maybe late high school, college that I really started to have an awareness of this philosophy behind forgiveness that you do it for you. You don't do it for them. Right. You do it. So you, the person who is giving the forgiveness can move on Mm -hmm. and you don't do it necessarily. So the other person can find, you know, can feel absolved. Um, And so when you think about forgiveness being applied to yourself, you don't think about it and you don't think about like, oh, I have to forgive myself. You don't think about it like, because you are yourself. So you'd be moving on anyway, right? That's the concept you, you have. And then when it gets introduced to you, or at least when it got introduced to me, like, all these things that you're carrying around that you feel shame about, or you feel like you didn't own or you didn't do well enough in Mm -hmm. you, you can acknowledge it and you can offer yourself some compassion. And, and through that, you can keep at it, keep trying, move on, whatever you need. Yeah. And I think the shame comes when you don't learn from that experience and you continue to do the same thing sure, and kind of fall into those, those same traps. And that's where I think self-compassion is, is something that feels like there's a difference between habits and changing habits and mm-hmm. self-compassion. And you don't necessarily, it's not like you can't have one without the other, like both are sort of required. Like you need the self-compassion to be able to really be released from that cycle of blame. Right. It's not like, Oh, I have now been good. <laughs> and so now <laughs> I deserve some compassion. It's like exactly when you're in your moment of deep shame and exactly when you feel like I'm doing this thing again, I shouldn't have done that, right. that self-compassion is actually what helps release you from that cycle yeah. to practice something new rather than putting yourself down and shaming yourself and saying, you knew better. Why did you do it? Yeah, mm-hmm. you do know better. You can do better, but something's getting in your way. So examine that. And I, I'm with you on the forgiveness thing. You know, it was the same for me. I think I was a teenager when I first heard the saying, uh, resentment is drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick or die. Yeah. And that was that, was that something you heard at home? No, it was from a teacher. (laughs) It was from a teacher, I think. And I just remember hearing that. And Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe even an English teacher. We were talking about a book. Literature is the great teacher, right? I mean, I've learned so much from books, but it was just a really interesting 
concept to me that actually makes a lot of sense when you think Mm -hmm. about it that way. And then resentment is really that seed of not wanting to forgive somebody else. Mm. I think of it as what is it that's keeping you from forgiving that person or forgiving yourself? Like you can't just move from shame or anger to forgiveness. There's got to be some steps in between. And so you have to go, what are those barriers that are preventing me from doing that? So it's hard when you are surrounded by people who constantly keep score, Mm -hmm. you know, family dynamics that like it, it can be tough to learn and practice forgiveness in an environment where that's, that's the dynamic because you then are constantly reminded and you're never allowed to let go. So I think it's, easier for people to really learn it and be able to practice it when they have some separation mm-hmm. from, from that sort of environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's like, we don't talk to so-and-so cousin because 15 years mm-hmm. ago they wronged so-and-so <laughs> and you're like, huh? <laughs> I think there's also a difference between, I always grew up hearing like forgive, but don't for never forget. Right. Right. Um, and that, And that really comes into play when you have relationships with people who haven't learned how to be better. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we all have those relationships with people in our life, whether they're family members or extended family or friends or neighbors or coworkers, whatever. And so that to me was kind of always what I struggled with because the not forgetting piece sometimes means you rehearse right. the bad things that have happened over and over and over. So you don't fall in the trap again. And then in the process of doing that, you've created all of this resentment. Right. And it, it's, it's a really, it's a really slippery slope of falling into that trap. I think for me, what I've had to sort of in my head conceptualize when I go through these cycles, because I've gone through a lot of these cycles with a lot of different people, is to imagine that each time I go through something, Mm -hmm. while it is cyclical, it can feel cyclical. It's actually like a spiral and I'm spiraling up. So Mm -hmm. I'm going around in the cycle, but I'm going up a level. Yes one of the things that I have sort of, and this is going to sound callous, I think I I may not be using the right words, but just having a little bit of detachment, Mm -hmm. uh, not, not taking it in so much and looking at the things that happen in this arena, more from an observer perspective, like observing the behavior, observing what's happening Mm -hmm. and when you, when you look at a situation more and as more as an observer and less as someone who is being directly impacted by it, it's easier for you to kind of see the situation for what it is and then not even bring yourself to a place where you're going to, I guess, harbor resentment. It, it, you won't let it affect you to the point where you have to go in, into that cycle Yeah. And I think you said something important earlier. You mentioned the word acknowledgement. And 
I think that's the most important step to start making that move until you've acknowledged the pain Mm -hmm. or the hurt that that experience brought to your life. And it's important to say, it's not necessarily that person, it's that experience until you acknowledge what, what that caused for you and how it made you feel. And in some cases, it warrants having a conversation with that person and clearing it up with some people who are, like you said, who have shown and demonstrated over time that they, that they can't do better or won't do better. It may not be having a conversation, but it may be writing a letter that you never send and, and just meditating on it and releasing it. But until you've acknowledged this pain Mm -hmm. that was caused this, because there's a trauma, it's like a meteor, a meteor comes in, it leaves an impact. And then you're just walking around the meteor being like meteor side going, there's no meteor here. There's no meteor. (laughs) Nothing happens. Nothing happened. And meanwhile, you're carrying this massive trauma that then it's like a vortex that everything gets sucked into because you're ignoring this massive site of impact. But when you say, okay, there was a meteor that hit here and it caused an impact. And here's how it made me feel. You can start filling in that hole yourself. And, and and if it's, and if it is a cleanup that you need to do with a friend, it can actually create a new friendship. It can create Mm -hmm. a relationship with that person. And, and hopefully, you know, a lot of the people that maybe that are coming up as Amy and I are having this conversation, people in podcast land that are listening, you know, as you're thinking about these places that hurt, there's probably going to be some people attached to them. And then you can kind of assess whether or not you can have that conversation, but there's, I think that inward journey, that inner work that that has to happen first before you have that conversation or consider writing that letter. So you can get clear for yourself on what that experience meant for your life. And again, I know Amy and I are both, we see things spiritually, but I really love this quote. Oprah Winfrey said, true forgiveness is when you can say thank you for that experience. Mm. And I love that because when you do get to a point of true forgiveness, you are no longer emotionally attached. Yeah. And you can be, like you said, the detachment, you can actually be like, wow, this is what I've learned from that experience. I'm so grateful for that. And I can be released from this cycle. And then you go up a level on the spiral staircase. Right. (laughs) Right. And I've often heard people say that in like a passive aggressive way, you know, because it is, it is a funny statement to say as you're walking dramatically away. Thank you for this experience. (laughs) Explosions in the background. (laughs) Amy puts on her sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I know I've, I know I've done stuff like that before, but, (laughs) but no, you're totally right. When you when you do any kind of healing work, any, whether it's, you know, as a spiritual reader, you know, Sultana and I both dabble in that we have, we have a practice in, in both of that in our, in our lives. Or if you are deeply spiritual or connected to nature or anything that, you know, feels intangible, mm-hmm. right? You end up learning this stuff through that too. But if, that's not your world and and that's not what you experience, then another really good way to think about this, all all conflict comes from differing in perspectives when it comes to values. Mm -hmm. Every person can't think the way that you do, right? 
we wouldn't be a functioning society. We do How better. Because you? Of, yeah. <laughs> Flip the desk. How dare you not think exactly like me? Oh no, I, I'm that person. I am that person. <laughs> I, whatever I'm saying, I'm saying because I know from firsthand experience, I, you know, that idea of common sense and all that doesn't exist. Everyone is coming at, everyone's looking at the same thing from a different point of view, literally and figuratively, because they're not standing in your shoes. They're not in your body. They can't see what you're looking at the same way you do. Right. So that's one, that's one factor. Everyone is coming to an experience with their own history. Mm -hmm. That history has informed them on what their values are, right? Mm -hmm. So one person may value loyalty above anything. And another person may value, you know, integrity over anything, right? So- And another person might value looking good. Yes. Beauty, hotness, (laughs) all of that, 100%. But everyone has something that's on their priority, their their priority piece. So you come to a situation and maybe you're having difficulty, difficulty there. That person's like, you know, showing up with the loyalty card and you're showing up with the integrity card. And because of you guys are focused on two different perspectives on the same issue, you may come to a point where you realize there's no moving forward in this relationship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Cause you value different things. Yeah. That is not a failure. That is not a bad thing. It just means that you have to make a decision about how important your value is to you. Mm-hmm. Is your value more important than um, moving forward in this relationship? You know, and if it is, then that's as far as that relationship was going to take you. And that is okay. It doesn't need to be a thing where you're like, you're a horrible person. You're this, you're that. Flip the desk. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. It could just be a moment of, okay, I think I'm understanding what's happening here. I think we've done really all we can do in this situation. And knowing that we both came at it with our values intact, we should walk away that way too should walk away feeling that way and and walk away with grace right and then that's where you do the forgiveness work it's it can't always be about getting someone else to see things your way it's about getting clarity for yourself clarity is the best word and when you get clear it helps you get clear and yeah it's you're absolutely right it's not a failure when a relationship ends as long as you get that clarity and sometimes the other person isn't clear, but you're clear and that's, and you've, and you've expressed that to them in the way that it makes sense, either through a boundary line or through taking the relationship in the direction that it, it needs to go. And that's really, really important. Um, I think one of, you know, a lot, there's a lot of power in language. So a lot of times we walk away from situations thinking we've learned something about the other person, but really we're walking away, learning something new about ourselves. So if you're able to look at a situation and say, you know what, I'm learning something about myself right now that I didn't know. And here's what that is. You'll be able to find value in that situation. 
it, you will treat it like a lesson and you will be able to get to that point where you're able to say, thank you for this experience. The other thing that I think you were talking about that was so important was when you were speaking about values, it's important to distinguish between true values, which have more to do with who you are and how you express yourself in the world and what draws you into other people versus limiting beliefs, mm. which yes. we, these are learned behaviors and things that we think we need to judge other people or ourselves on. These are limiting beliefs. They are not values. And I think sometimes people confuse themselves with, you know, okay, I'll give you an example. If I don't have a nice car, then I've not made it in the world. That is a limiting belief, right? So if yeah. you're facing that nice car, what happens when you get that nice car? And then what do you now believe? It's a really limiting belief because it stops you at some point in your growth. Yeah. It stops you from growing. And so these are things that we not only put on ourselves, we put on others and mm -hmm. it keeps us from growing. It keeps us from having that more, that spaciousness to be able to welcome more people in. And I think this is like when we talk about inclusivity mm -hmm. and racism and all of these things, there is some sort of limiting belief at play yeah. in these things. And the good thing about the limiting belief is that it can be unlearned. You can put a new belief there because deep down there is some different kind of value. Like I, I, I'd like to think that we all value on some level family, right? Yeah. Now maybe you don't have a great relationship with a parent and so that sort of shows up in different ways in your life. It's really important to kind of be like, okay, what's really at play here? Let me do that inner work and figure out like, what is it that I'm having this impasse with this person? Is this yeah. something that, is this a belief I want to keep? Right. Keeping me from growing? Or is this relationship actually more important? And this belief is actually keeping me from growing into that relationship and deepening yeah. as a person. A hundred percent. And we all have situations like that. We all have a relationship from an early age where we, where we developed a limiting belief. You know, your first limiting beliefs come from some relationship you have with a parent or a parent, a parental figure. You know, like I have that with my mom. My mom and I have a wonderful, wonderful relationship now. When I was growing up, it was hard. It was really hard because she's strong-willed, I'm strong-willed. And it was always a battle for, for power. <laughs> it's always a battle for power. Yeah. We, we both, we would both fight dirty and <laughs> we would, we would both fight dirty. And you're saying this and I'm like imagining, you know, Parantas flying across. The no, <laughs> no, I, I love my mom, but we both had to learn the same lessons in the same lifetime with each other. Yeah. And there were some big things that helped us flip, flip the narrative. They were moments of crisis yeah. that had to show up in order for us to develop appreciation for it, for each other and not look at the other as the enemy. Not that she ever did that. I'm not speaking for her. I'm speaking for me. If you had a conversation with her, she would sit and tell you, I love my daughter. I've always loved my daughter. I don't know what she's talking about, <laughs> right? And that's okay, right? We see, we can see two versions of a situation and they can both be right. I think that's the other piece, right? 
the only true perspective is the third perspective that neither of the two people involved in the situation yes can see so it's important to acknowledge why you believe the things you believe like mm-hmm. i didn't grow up in a home where i mean early on i i felt like there was a lot of affection because i was little yeah and then okay. as i grew up both my parents were busier they were always stressed and it's not really something in indian households you see a lot of affection yeah i don't really remember physically getting a lot of hugs, kisses. I don't remember I love you being spoken very often, maybe on birthdays. So my limiting belief was that because I didn't get it, I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And so every relationship I sought once I became an adult mm-hmm. was one where I really didn't get a lot of affection. Yeah. And I didn't get a lot of verbal affirmations. And I'm telling you, I legitimately thought I was better than everyone else because I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. And then that ceiling broke. Yeah, as it does. <laughs> that ceiling broke and my whole world shattered when I realized, oh no, I have been in a state of deprivation yeah. since childhood. on this particular issue. And because of this particular issue, I went out seeking people who would continue to make me feel that way. And by by the way, this is not me in any way, like shaming, blaming, right? Had I expressed a need, had I had the language to express to my parents, I, I, I need this. I feel like I need more of this. And I'm afraid to ask for it because I think maybe you don't want to give it to me. If I had expressed that, my whole world could have changed. They would have shown up for me more in that way. Yeah. And they may have had their own limiting beliefs about how to parent from what they learned. And that's the thing. This stuff becomes generational until somebody comes along and breaks the pattern and says, yeah, this can be different. I know like with my mom, her mother, my grandmother, she was... Austrian and Slovenian and Mm -hmm. she was old world European and she was hardworking, baking bread, stoic, (laughs) stoic, stoic. My grandmother was strong and she didn't tell my mother that she loved her. She showed her. And I, I am, I'm like my grandmother in that I'm an acts of service person. I will work hard to do the thing for you that needs to be done. Right. It's a labor of love. I have my, a lot of my grandmother in me, but I too struggle with verbal affirmation. And she struggled with that too. She worked hard. She was a nurse. She did all these things. And then my mother didn't feel loved because she never got that. I love yeah. She got it from her dad, who was much more affectionate. Later on, when she had that conversation with her mom, my, her, my grandmother, she broke down and was like, of course I loved you. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know you needed to hear that. I, I didn't hear it when I was a kid. And so I just, I never really said it, but of course I loved you. And so that's the thing. And so I know with my mom, she always told us she loved us. Right. Always. It's amazing what happens when you become 
when you have awareness of some of this stuff, I remember, you know, of my parents, my father is probably more affectionate than my mom. Um, she grew up with four brothers. She was a middle child of, of four brothers and, um, they traveled a lot and she probably, I think, didn't get that level of attention either in her, in her upbringing. Like, you know, I know she felt loved, but I think it was learned. A lot of it was just learned behavior. I think Indians in general, they, they learn that the value isn't in saying all of the flowery things. Mm-hmm. And also it's not very demonstrative in, in terms of affection. What you see in movies is not real is what I'm saying. All those Bollywood movies where they're showing the affection, that, that doesn't really happen in every household. You know, we always knew we were loved because of the food and, you know, they took the time and they cared for us and we had all of our needs met, but they were always so busy. They were always working and never felt like they had enough right. to spare. So I grew up thinking that they were like me, that they never needed it. And I'll never forget, I made <laughs> mm-hmm. I made both of them, both my parents uh, take the love language love languages test and this was in my 20s yeah they were so like oh amy what what new stupid psychological (laughs) thing are you putting us through now because every week it was something new take this test take this take because i was trying to figure out okay i know who you are but who are you right who are you really who would you be if you weren't my parent (laughs) that's what i was trying to get at i'll never forget the shock when i saw how they scored. I think my dad, his top two were like physical affection and wow. My yeah, my dad's top was physical affection and the other one was words of affirmation. Word those are pretty common for men, those two. They are. And then for my mom, it was quality time and gifts. That makes sense. And I remember, I remember looking and I thought hers was going to be acts of service because all she did was complain about how none of us did anything in the house. So I thought for sure all of her points were going to go to acts of service. Meanwhile, you're like, I could have just bought you some flowers. Right. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this. And I want to cry. Aww. And so I go to my dad and I was like, did you know physical affection is your number one? Wow. And he was kind of quiet and he was like, that's not surprising. I'm like, but you never, you never hug us. You never like you hug us sometimes. Yeah. You'll pat us on the head when you come home from work, (laughs) but you know, like you don't ever like seek a hug from me. Then it opened up a whole can of worms for him. And it was basically the same cycle had played out in his childhood. Yeah. And then, you know, same conversation had I had with my mom because she doesn't verbally express anything. anything. So yeah, we would sit on the couch and watch TV. I never knew she was getting enjoyment from that. Mm-hmm. She'd never say anything like, oh, I love when you spend time with me. That was quality time for her. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thought like, okay, we're in the same house. We might as well sit in the same room. <laughs> I never realized like that yeah. was filling her bucket. Completely changed our relationship. I began, I began to understand them more. And now like every time I see my dad, I give him a hug for 30 seconds. It's like a real warm squeeze, you know, 
because we know now, like we both have the same thing. We both need the same thing, you know? And my mom, like, if we hug her, it's so funny. Like she gets so awkward. She's always like, okay, enough, you know, like, because she, and again, this is all stuff that I don't know if they were given the opportunity to really consider for themselves what they needed. Mm -hmm. So it brought all this forgiveness all this, like I had this whole different perspective of my childhood and the lacking I felt and the resentment I carried, it like popped this horrible bubble. Yeah. You got clear. It, yeah. It was the clarity. It really was bringing in clarity. It all happened because of specific language. Language is so powerful. If we just ask the question, can you tell me more about what you would like? Open-ended questions where they are forced to really think. You may find there are shared values that it doesn't have to be so, a make or break. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I want I want us to help people who are looking to find that forgiveness with somebody to give them, what are the steps? Give me the steps. We're going to give them the, the life, the lifeline here. Forgiveness starter pack. Forgiveness starter pack. So I think the first step is you, you have to be, you have to be committed to saying, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I know that I want to release this from my life. I know I want to let go of this resentment and I want to, it's not that I, you may not even be able to say, I want to forgive this person that may feel too far afield, but I, this experience, this negativity I'm having around this person. I don't want that anymore. I want to release it. I think you've got at least say intention. The intention is there. And then I think the next step is, is thinking through, go back to the site of impact, go back to the media, go back to what happened. And in some cases with some people, like, you know, with a parent, like, let's say me with my father, like there's so many different things. You're like, how can I possibly forgive? Mm-hmm. Look at this. Look at this. It's like the moon. There's so many meteor sites. You can't quantify all of that. Just think about like, what has it meant for you in your life? And what has that loss been? Because really it's about a grief mm-hmm. and you want acknowledgement for that grief. And so in some cases, you just have to acknowledge what happened and what that did for you and what that changed for you. And then decide if this is a conversation that you can have with this person or that you either can't have or won't have um, for different reasons. And then you can write a letter. And then Amy, you were just talking about how to have that conversation. Yeah. You know, asking the open-ended questions, going into it without judgment, understanding too that the things that you find hard to forgive in others are traits you find hard to forgive in yourself because everyone's a reflection of you. And so there may be some self-forgiveness you have to do as a part of this. Yeah. And in some cases, you know, you have to actually have that conversation with that person and say, this is my intention for the relationship. Like I want us to be friends or I want us to have this kind of relationship. I know when I did some forgiveness work with my mom, I actually said to her, like, I have not given you the space to be my parent because I felt like I had to parent, I had to be the grown up in the household. And so I really didn't let you be my parent. And so yeah. I, I would like to be able to look at you as my mom and I would like us to be able to have a close friendship. And that changed everything once yeah. I was able to walk through that. And she was like, yes, I'm on board for that. So inviting that person into that experience you want to have. Yeah, I, I love all of those. I think it's important to acknowledge that 
Sometimes when we are clinging to a relationship or the idea of the relationship, sometimes what we're really clinging to is the feelings that we had in that relationship and not necessarily the person. It's really important to frame things in such a way that you don't have attachment. Mm -hmm. You know, like something as simple as, I love the way he made me feel versus I loved how I felt when I was with him. That puts all the power in you and your ability to feel. Yes. When you're able to do that, like if you wrote down someone you're having, you know, all the traits that are making it difficult from you to walk away from a particular situation, you know, all the, all the reasons you have attachment, you can even do this with food. Okay. If your relationship is with food and it's toxic or something like that, you can write down all the things that you love in terms of feelings, but just frame it in a way where you are the feeler. The power isn't in that item or that person or that thing. This makes it a lot easier to have grace in your relationship with that person and even potentially walk away. Yeah. Because if you are going to walk away, you want to walk away in such a way that it's not tormenting you. Absolutely. I mean, for me, that was I remember when I was younger, I did not think I could possibly forgive my father for the things that had happened. And it was hard because I did, and I do love him. It has nothing to do with love. It has to do with understanding that I'm not available to be abused. I'm not available for that. I'm not going to permit that in my life anymore. And I took my power back in forgiving Mm -hmm. And part of that was releasing and letting go the need to grasp at a relationship that was only going to cause me pain, not because I could not be a better person, but when you are spending time in a relationship or working on a connection, you are spending your energy in the same way you would go to a store and spend money. You were spending energy and we're giving that energy. And when it's just going into a hole and disappearing, at some point you need to just take that back. And it doesn't mean you're being unloving in some cases, like that is what you need to do to protect yourself. Yeah. And so that has been a really hard lesson for me is learning boundaries and learning how to that forgiveness and setting boundaries are, are not mutually exclusive. Like they're actually no. really necessary. Boundaries are absolutely necessary for healthy relationships and boundaries are not walls. Like don't come over here. Mm-hmm. It's really like, here's what I need to feel safe. Yeah. And can you please respect it? And let's, you can have a conversation about, it. but if somebody is disrespectful to that right. and they're not making you feel safe, maybe that's not a good relationship for your life. So it goes back to values. Like if you don't have certain necessary shared values, relationships can be almost impossible to sustain in such a way where both people aren't constantly getting hurt. It's okay to walk away. Yeah, that that's the trauma bond, right? There's yeah. a trauma bond there where people just, it's like acting out in a play and yeah. each person goes, okay, here's our respective role where we're going to reenact this trauma the cycle. Yeah. That the, the conversations that keep yeah. happening over and over and over again, the, the same way. And it's fr- super frustrating. So how do you know that you need to forgive somebody? If you find yourself ruminating about this situation or this person 
and you're feeling negative feelings coming up, there's a forgiveness that's needed there. That's when you know. So if you are in that situation and you don't speak to that person anymore, Mm -hmm. how would you do this on your own? I think this is about a meditation practice for people who are spiritual. They may think of prayer and that can work for people who are less so, but contemplative. And I think everybody can be contemplative because we all think contemplation is about thinking. So you can write a letter to that person. I think you need to do some thinking work. I would make a list of the wrongs that you believe were committed. And then what was next to it, you have to put what was your role in it. That's the self-forgiveness. And then- and then put next to it what you learned from it. It mm. could be from these individual feelings or from the collective experience and see how you can grow and how you've already grown because of what happened. And then say, I don't want to be controlled by this experience anymore. I want to grow from this experience. I know I can do better. And I'm not going to do the things that this person did, but I'm also not going to live inside of the story that I've been telling myself or sometimes telling other people I am bigger and better than this limiting story and this limiting belief. And so then maybe you have like a, a mantra and it could be something as simple as I release you. I forgive you. Thank you for this experience. Mm. And I'm moving forward in my life. It could be something as simple as that there's a Hawaiian I was just going to ask you to say it, the Hawaiian (laughs) prayer. That's what I was thinking in my head. I'm going to totally botch it. I'm not even trying to say it because I can't pronounce it, but there's a prayer in Hawaii. It's very simple and it's four lines and it's, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And it's simple, but it's powerful. Mm because it's acknowledging that there was some sort of love and respect there. You are apologizing in your own heart and mind to that person. You're also asking for them to forgive you. And then you're saying, thank you. And again, you don't need, you need not say it to a person. You just imagine them in your mind, close your eyes, imagine them in your mind and say this. And it's amazing how your heart just expands when you do this. And it's simple. It's so easy to remember. So I think it's a really powerful thing. And whenever those negative feelings come up, Um, you can do that again, because again, I think when things happen, whether they're at work or with friends or relationships, most of the time, it's not even about what's happening in this moment. It's about a trauma that happened when you were much younger and it's a, it's a re-triggering of the trauma. And then you may need to go back and do that contemplation again, that forgiveness again, and understand that this person in the present moment is not that person that caused you that trauma. Forgive yourself, release yourself. And do it in nature. Walk around that beautiful lawn. <laughs> yeah, even sit sit on the, the dead patch of lawn and say that prayer. And maybe it'll come back. I'm going to do that right now, actually. I love that. <laughs> well, this was a great conversation. Thank you, Amy. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm hungry. Okay.